you believe it to be true? Do you believe it to be true that the same event can be both the evil work of human beings and in God's hands, good? Do you believe it to be true that the same event can be both the evil work of human beings and in God's hands, good? That's the question we'll be struggling with these next three weeks. Let us pray. O God, open to us the mysteries of your word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I know a lot of church jokes. It's an occupational hazard. This is one of the oldest ones in the book. It's time for the children's sermon, and the minister invites the children up and begins by saying, I'm going to describe something, and I want to know if you can tell me what it is. You can find this thing in Africa or at the zoo. It's colored with light brown fur and dark spots. It has four legs and a tail. It's taller than all of the other animals, and it has a long neck that reaches way up into the sky so that it can eat leaves off of the trees. The children sit there in silence for several seconds while the minister wonders what it is she possibly could have said to mislead them and Finally, one little girl sheepishly raises her hands and says, Well, it sounds an awful lot like a giraffe, but I know the answer's got to be Jesus. (laughs) There are a lot of things about church, and especially about the Bible, that work this way. We expect that because it's church or because it's the Bible, that things must be a certain way. People in the Bible are virtuous and moral. They learn from their mistakes. They are boldly faithful and unwavering in their belief. When they trust God, good things happen to them. All of these things must be true. Otherwise, why would these people have been chosen to be in the Bible? As it turns out, though, many of these expectations are not true. And the story of Joseph is one of the best examples we have. Joseph does not fit our expectations. He is a man of many, many failings that begin in his family even before he is born. You may remember that Joseph is the son of Israel, or Jacob. Jacob was the brother of Esau, and Jacob was the favorite son of their mother, Rebekah. And that favoritism in their family shapes a whole series of bad events in Jacob's life. And instead of learning from that unfortunate situation, Jacob repeats his mother's mistake when he becomes a parent. 
For we find out right away that Joseph is Jacob's favorite son. And everyone knows it because Joseph is given a special coat. Now, many of us are used to hearing the translation that Heidi read this morning that says that this was a coat of many colors. That's the version of the story that is found in the ancient translation <coughs> excuse me, of the Bible in Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And that translation is most familiar to most Western Christians because it's the translation that's carried over into the King James Bible. But if you were to pick up your Pew Bible, the New Revised Standard Version, based on the older Hebrew text and open to Genesis 37, you would see that this coat is referred to as a long robe with sleeves. And in the ancient Hebrew culture, that is important because long robes were worn by people who had no need to have hands and arms free for any kind of physical labor. And from that, we may speculate that it's not just a nice coat that Jacob's favorite son is given, but permission to supervise while his brothers do all the work. So it's no wonder that they hated him. Joseph doesn't help himself. Aware of his own superiority already during his waking hours, he dreams about it at nighttime, too. He has a dream that he's in the field with his brothers working. You know that it's a dream, because Joseph was working with his brothers. And Joseph's sheaf of grain stands straight up, and the sheaves held by his eleven brothers bow down to his sheaf. Joseph has a second dream that the sun and the moon and eleven stars in the sky, symbolizing not only his brothers, but his mother and his father as well, bow down and worship him. These dreams are present in the story as a means of foreshadowing where the plot is going to go, but also to tell us something about the kind of guy Joseph is, because we all dream dreams that we're not supposed to tell other people, but Joseph tells everyone about his dreams. And by now you should be convinced that this Joseph is not an exemplary character all on his own. He's going to need help. And so if we continue with the expectations that many of us have about how the Bible works, you might assume that God is actively at work to make up for Joseph's shortcomings. But according to what we've read so far, that's not true either. While God appears to Moses at the burning bush, calls the prophet Samuel, who responds, Here I am, Lord comes to the disciples through Jesus and says, I will make you fish for people. Nothing like this happens to Joseph. Throughout the story, God will never speak directly to Joseph. And up to this point in the story, there's been no mention of God at all. 
So who is this man Joseph, and why is the Bible wasting our time teaching us about him? Joseph is far from perfect. He carries a family background that sets him up with challenges from the start, and he makes mistakes on his own on top of it. And neither is God going to do the work for Joseph. Joseph is going to need to find his own way in the world, and if he's going to find God's presence in his life, he's going to have to look for it hard. Given all of this, my hunch is that the reason we're being told about Joseph is that at least in some respects, Joseph is very much like us. No voice from God, plenty of flaws on our own, and even still dragging around a few burdens passed on to us by our parents. Here we are. The conventional wisdom about this story is that Joseph is the favorite son, that Joseph has the beautiful coat, and that Joseph's dreams seem to foreshadow his greatness, but we also learn, if we read closely, that Joseph has a dark side. Outwardly, things are good. Joseph had some visible advantages, but that is not all. Joseph is surrounded by people, but he has few, if any, friends he feels he can really trust. He may wish to be good, but he often behaves very much like the spoiled and isolated teenager he is. As he grows up, we realize that the most difficult and contentious relationships in his life were with members of his own family, Does any of that sound like your life? Outwardly, Joseph has many material advantages, but inside he is an insecure and unhappy person. And things do not always go well for him. Many of us would probably say most of the time, we are blessed. God has been good to me, we say. How could we possibly complain, we say to ourselves, but inside there are things that hurt. Memories from our childhood or mistakes that we have made. We know that we sometimes have dreamed the wrong dreams or puffed ourselves up in front of other people because there is pain inside that we have chosen not to deal with. We worry about when things that we have done are going to catch up with us and if we are going to be thrown into a pit. If you've ever felt any of these things, then here you have it. Your biblical counterpart, Joseph. At the end of the introduction, we read this morning, Joseph's luck runs out. His brothers beat him up and throw him into a pit, and they will see a caravan of slave traders going by and sell him into slavery. That's how Joseph ends up in Egypt. 
And faced with this significant turn for the worse, it stands to reason that even someone who seems to have been rather shallow in the beginning might have started to ask some deeper questions. Why has God let this happen to me? God, who was so present in the life of my father. Sure, I may have some flaws, but I'm not as bad as some other people who are out there. My own brothers tried to kill me. Are they going to get what they deserve? What did I do to deserve what's happening to me? And will I be able to get a clean slate and start over? Far from some conventional moral story suggesting that if you believe and are good, then God will be with you, Joseph's story tells us early that life doesn't always make sense. Sometimes bad things happen to people who behave well. Sometimes good things happen to people who behave badly. And sometimes things seem to happen for no reason at all. And it's not until all of these things in Joseph's early life have passed. It's not until that long slave journey and its a series of introspective what-if questions are over. It's not until Joseph finds himself living in Egypt, a slave to the official named Potiphar. It's not until this moment that we get an amazing cliffhanger for the rest of the story that is to come. Out of nowhere... We learn in the beginning of chapter 39 that through all of this, God was with Joseph. And now we have a question we can apply to all kinds of real-world situations. Can God work for good in the midst of human evil? Biblical scholar W. Sibley Towner suggests this. Let Joseph's story simmer in your mind. While you conjure up pictures of bad things that humans do. The slave trade and Indian wars. Auschwitz. Atomic explosions. ISIS. The Syrian crisis. Domestic violence. Can one and the same event be both evil and in God's hands good? Can that be? Consider that with Joseph, God does not want the brothers to do what they do. God does not order them to do what they do. Yet when they do it, God does not walk away and leave Joseph alone. That is what we're told. God is not defeated by what the brothers do. They do it. God will use it. 
You'll note that this in no way excuses the evil, nor does it make the hurt of it go away. But it does, does raise a question for us, one that brings me back around to that observation about the kinds of expectations we have for the Bible. Could it be contrary to what we often think that God's most profound work often happens in the midst of deep human failure? It is without a doubt bad pastoring for me to meet one-on-one -on -one with any of you in the midst of personal crisis and to suggest that God is working for good in your life. And at the same time, I have met with many of you who have said to me, looking back on a difficult time, that you know God was with you. That however it was that the bad came about, somehow God stuck around in ways that you may not have realized at the time. As one pastor I know has described this, I have learned things in the darkness that I never could have learned in the light. Things that have saved my life over and over again. This is one of the meanings of communion. We share and remember the execution of Jesus on the cross by human hands, in part so that we will sit here in church and struggle with the idea that out of something awful, God might actually be able to bring good. Can that be possible? Are there things we learn in the darkness that we never could have learned in the light, things that save our lives over and over again? Joseph's story is just beginning and is going to put that question to the test. Amen.